thank you very much. Let me invite us to take our Bibles and open to the book of Acts, the first chapter from there. Chapter 1, we'll read the first 12 verses. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 down to verse 12. If you are there, I will lead in reading. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Here ends the reading of the word of God. And before we go further, let us pray. Our gracious and loving Father, God who art in heaven, we thank you that we come to this moment of time, that, Lord, we hear your word spoken to us. Gracious King of kings, we pray that you will help us to concentrate and understand your word. Therefore, Lord, we seek that you will switch off our minds and our hearts from all the destructive thoughts and feelings so that, Lord, we will be wholly true to you as you speak. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we plead. Amen. I would love to speak on the subject, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, emphasizing its importance. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, emphasizing its importance. The text that we have read being Um, a book that was written by Luke is, as we have seen in verse 1 and verse 2, kind of second volume of the works of Jesus Christ. The first volume being the book of Luke itself, and the second volume being the book of Acts. And both the book of Luke and the book of Acts are being written to the same recipient, and that is the man who is referred to in verse 1 as Theophilus. We don't have so much details about him, and it's not my intention to dwell so much about who this man is, but uh, it is 
about what Luke was writing so that this man may come to know, which I feel is also that which we need to know. I, from the first verses, from the first 12 verses that we have read, like I've said, we would love to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think the, 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 the author, that is Luke, is making a big deal of the subject of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in particular that it was a physical resurrection. And so with me are uh, some few things that before I can dive into the main issues, I would love to draw your attention to, to show that uh, Peter, Luke was making a big deal of this subject of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and in particular, the fact that he, he had a physical, bodily resurrection. There are about ten things that are merely uh, uh, an indication that he, this was a very important subject that Peter had to address to Theophilus as he was going to write the entire book about few ten things or statements that are alluding to the fact that the portion that we read is by and large all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me begin by a quote from the man called F.F. F. Bruce as he was passing a comment on verse 1. Uh, he says, and it's one of those things that are alluding to the fact that he, uh, he was talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says the implication of Luke's word words is that, and that is with reference to uh, what Luke writes in verse 1, where he says, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So in reference to this statement, all that Jesus began to do and teach, F.F. Bruce says the implication of Luke's words is that his second volume will be an account of things which Jesus continued to do and teach after his ascension by his spirit in his followers. And so what he was basically trying to do is to let his disciples know, or this man uh, Theophilus know, that this Jesus who was alive with a physical body, I wrote to you about him and what he taught and did, and he did all that which he did as... 100% human being, he was alive and he had a proper physical body. It was not a mystical body that he had. And I wrote about those in the first volume. And I'm about to write the same reason Jesus Christ with his same body with which he rose from the dead. And so by implication, his introduction to Theophilus, he is basically saying, I'm continuing to talk about the same person who was alive, who had a physical body, and as we would hear John talk about him in his first epistle, that that which we saw, we touched, we interacted with. And that's the same thing that Luke is basically trying to do as he writes to, to, to Theophilus, that uh, this Jesus Christ I'm about to tell you about, though he has ascended into the heavens, he promised that he will be with his disciples until the very end of the age. Of course, this time around, he'll be with them in spirit, but he has not ceased being a human being with a proper physical body with which he rose from the dead. And so that's the first indicator that Luke is making a big deal out 
of this. The second indicator is, has to do with the statement, he was taken up to heaven. And you find something that is like an inclusion. An inclusion is basically a statement that is made at the beginning and at the end of whatever it is that is being said to suggest that the, the, there is a connection to everything that is being said between this statement and this last statement. And usually the first and the last statement are usually the same. And in verse 2 we are told, until the day he was taken up to heaven, and we find the same thing again being spoken of by the angels. And also Luke himself in verse 9 and in verse 11. In verse 9 we are told, after he said this, he was taken up. In verse 11, we are told, this same Jesus who has been taken. Now, the taking out or the being taken up or the being taken away from you is a practical physical action, meaning it was being acted upon one who had a proper physical body. His action was being acted upon something that can be touched, something that can be seen. And that's an allusion to the fact that this Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, he actually truly was resurrected and with a physical body. The second thing is between verse, the next series of indicators are between verse 3 and verse 5, or let me say up to verse 9. There in verse 3, we are told that he showed himself. He manifested or he revealed himself to the effect that they were able to see him. If you read the Gospels after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you realize that actually he showed himself to different people on different occasions. And Luke himself tells us actually that it was over a period of 40 days. So he showed himself. But the same Jesus Christ whom Luke talks about that he was risen, actually he himself, Jesus Christ, also took care to convince his disciples that actually he was alive and that he had a physical body. We are told in verse 3 that he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. So it's not only Luke that is the trying to make Theophilus understand that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that he rose with a physical body. Even Jesus Christ himself bothered to labor to convince his disciples and all who were his followers that he, he was alive. He appeared to them again. He showed himself and then we are told he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. He spoke to them and he spoke about the that he had spoken about before he had died. He spoke to them about the kingdom of heaven. Then he ate with them. One without a physical body doesn't need to participate in physical meals. But Jesus Christ did eat with them. He commended them, and this commending them was while he was revealed to them, while he was among them, and they could hear him speak to them as he was commending them. 
We are told his disciples also met with him. And so this is not a one-sided action of Jesus Christ doing things, but also the people to whom he was revealing himself, the people with whom he was eating, they also met up with him, signifying that he was actually truly risen. And so the testimony is not a one-sided one, but actually even the people that are being spoken about having been revealed to them, they too met with them. That, was, that is in verse 6. In verse 9, we see that he ascended into the heavens in full view of those people to whom he had revealed himself. And so you realize that throughout the whole portion that we have read, Peter is taking care to send home just one important thing, that this Jesus Christ is risen as he promised. And he rose with a physical body. But why is this a big deal? Why is St. Peter just moving on to talk about all the things that he wants to talk about? Apparently, it seems he is suggesting here that this is so crucial, this is so important for our faith and for all the other things that Luke is going to talk about, they are going to be pointless if we do not grasp and believe this very fact that this Jesus we are talking about, this Jesus Christ I spoke about in the first volume and I'm about to talk about in this second volume is indeed alive and not dead. Of course, he was dead, but he has risen from the dead. Now, with that, having established the fact that uh, this is what is contained in this verse and that it is very important, I want us to draw our attention to three things, generally. Uh, the first thing is, with respect to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its importance, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is important for our faith. It is important for our believing. And secondly, I want us to dwell on the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is important for the gospel enterprise. It is important for the gospel enterprise. And in the third instance, we will look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ being important for our own resurrection hope ourselves, for our own resurrection hope. And with those three, we should be done for today. And so let's get to the first thing, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is important for our faith. It is so that we might believe. So the first five verses there are basically dealing with drawing our faith to this Jesus Christ who was dead and is now alive. It is important that this is emphasized and that we, we emphasize it so dearly because we may believe all these other things that Jesus Christ did, but whatever it is that Jesus Christ was doing is basically culminating into the fact that he died and that on the third day he rose from the dead and that when he rose from the dead, he actually manifested himself to his disciples. These disciples 
needed to be encouraged. Remember when he was arrested? They kind of were feeble men. They all scampered in all different kinds of directions. And they couldn't stand by his side. But then when he rose from the dead, these disciples actually believed even more. And one of them is Thomas, who had struggles believing that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And Jesus Christ had to invite him to feel him that he truly was human. And so it was crucial for the disciples themselves that Jesus Christ had to reveal himself to them, that Jesus Christ had to convince them that he was risen because he promised it himself that he must die and rise from the dead. Now, if Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead, the disciples would have basically lost whatever faith they had in him. And since the faith that we continue to profess today is as the same disciples who are referred to as the apostles have now propagated, have now testified to the rest of the world, we too, therefore, find the fact of Jesus Christ being resurrected to be so very crucial for our faith. The Apostle Paul writing to the Romans, he in chapter 10 and verse 9, he urges that he, we must confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord, but secondly, that we must believe. And the question is, what is it that we believe about this Jesus Christ? Well, he could have said, you believe that he came. He would have said, you must believe that he was born of the Virgin Mary. He could have said that you must believe that actually he died and he was crucified, and that alongside him were two other thieves. And it's important to believe all these things. But what, in believing all these things, without the fulfillment of the promises that he gave before, I mean, after he said all these things and did all these things, which was that he was going to rise from the dead, if he had not risen from the dead, all these things wouldn't make sense. And so the Apostle Paul says, you must believe that he was raised from the dead. It is only when you believe that he was raised from the dead that you end up believing everything concerning Jesus Christ. You cannot believe in a dead Jesus Christ if you don't believe that he rose from the dead. I mean, it's an easier thing to believe that he died. But that dying is only given significance with, by the resurrection. And so, it is important for us to establish it in our hearts that he died and that he did all the great works that he did, but all those great works are rendered useless if he did not rise. I mean, it is the whole lot of the scriptures that are going to be rendered useless if we don't believe and if he had not risen from the dead. There are, there are many prophecies about Jesus Christ coming into this world in the Old Testament and that he was going to rise from the dead. And if he had not risen from the dead, all those promises and prophecies are rendered invalid if he had not risen from the dead. That's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is very important. It is so crucial for our faith. And as we will see in the next point, it is actually the very engine 
of whatever it is that we do as believers. Let me then move on to the very next point, which is uh, that the resurrection is important for the gospel enterprise. And this we see between verse 6 and verse 8. We are told, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this Jesus Christ, having convinced his disciples about the fact that he was alive and that he was truly human even after the resurrection, he now commissions his disciples to go out there and let the whole world know that he did not only come, that he did not only suffer, that he did not only die, but that he rose from the dead on the third day. And that when he rose, it was not a mystical resurrection. He rose physically. And it is this that makes the gospel the gospel. Without the fact of Jesus Christ rising from the dead, whatever it is that we do when we go out there, we are merely babbling. We cannot convince anyone else to believe in this Jesus Christ. Who would want to come and believe in a dead Savior? He himself was mocked on the cross that you were raising people from the dead. You were healing so many people. Now, bring yourself down from there. And they were saying this because they thought it was impossible. They thought he wouldn't do it. But on the third day, True to his word, he rose from the dead. And so when we go out there to preach, we are basically commending people to this great God, to this great Savior who came and conquered death. And he did so not because he was forced to do so, but he willingly did so. And that whoever believes in this risen Savior, he too shall be resurrected on the last day. The Apostle Paul labors to the Corinthians, actually. But before we can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to show that actually in the first five chapters of Acts, the first, the first four chapters in the book of Acts and the first few sermons that we, we, we read out in there, they are all centered on the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And, these, and Peter actually keeps on emphasizing that we are witnesses to these things. In chapter 2 and verse 25 to verse 37, Peter preaches his sermon on the day of Pentecost. In verse 25, he says, David said about him, this is part of the sermon, and he quotes a psalm. I saw the Lord always before me. And so this is something that was basically a prophecy about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. 
Why? Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. This psalm has been attributed to Christ Jesus. Uh, it is a prophetic psalm to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Peter continues in verse 29. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of, of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. Listen to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. God exalted to the right hand of God, I mean, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet the same David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is the first sermon that is preached by the Apostle Peter after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And in this sermon, Peter is emphasizing the fact that he, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that his resurrection actually was prophesied of, even in the Old Testament, by David speaking prophetically. And at the end of this sermon, we see in verse 37, people coming up, getting converted. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is crucial for the gospel enterprise. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no gospel at all. We are merely lamenters without hope. In chapter 3, another sermon, I'll not read a long portion this time around, verse 15, we are told, you killed the righteous one and asked that a murderer be released. Sorry, you killed the righteous one, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. That's supposed to Peter again, speaking to the people who killed him. It is these same people who, after they heard that he rose, actually, in the background, they were making every frantic effort to convince people that actually he did not rise from the dead. His disciples came and stole his body. But then if they stole his body, that's fine. They must have given it life. Because he was alive among them for 40 days. In chapter 4 and verse 10, the same thing is emphasized again. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God, 
but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. So that was after the Apostle Peter had uh, healed someone and people were questioning how he did this. And he says, it is by him whom you crucified. And when you continue reading in the book of Acts, we see Saul coming to persecute the church and people now were scampering in all kinds of directions and wherever they were going, people were wondering what kind of an exodus is this? And these people, when they were being questioned what it is that they were running away from, they spoke of the fact that we are f- being persecuted because we are firm believers of Jesus Christ. And obviously when they were asked, what, who is this Jesus? They spoke, obviously, about his resurrection. The point is that in these few scriptures that I've shown, in, right in the book of Acts, there are moments when Apostle Peter and the other apostles were basically proclaiming Jesus Christ. And the emphasis was around the fact that he rose from the dead. I think everyone else generally knew that actually he he was arrested. Everyone else generally knew that he, he was crucified and he died. But it was important to let everyone else knew know that he rose from the dead because there were some people who were out there also with their own messengers trying to say that he did not rise, rather his body was stolen. And if you are in the gospel enterprise and you don't talk about Jesus Christ having risen from the dead, you don't urge people to believe in he who rose from the dead, you are not preaching the gospel. Whatever it is that you are doing is not the gospel. It is important that we emphasize this because first of all, we ourselves, that's what we believed in. And we can only tell others that which we believed in and it is the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is alive. The Apostle Peter, sorry, Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter, one, chapter 15, he talks about Jesus Christ rising from the dead. I may not have all the time to read it, but between verse 1 and down to, to verse 11, he is emphasizing this very fact. And he is emphasizing it in a form of encouraging the brethren at Corinth. It is the gospel that is needed for the unconverted world to hear, but it is also the gospel that is needed for those that have been converted to be encouraged by it. And talking about those that have believed to be encouraged by it, I'm led to the third point, that the resurrection is important for our resurrection hope. Somehow, when we believed that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, we believe that we, the day we got baptized, we were basically sending out a message out there that we died with Christ and we were risen with him to righteousness. So we died to our sins and we rose in righteousness with Christ. And when we rose, we also shall be joined with him. We will also be raised from our physical death at some point because also all of us will at some point die. 
and the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians, to the, to the Thessalonians, before I can get back to the book of Acts, in chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. He's encouraging the Thessalonians and urging them to encourage one another with these things. So we believers also, we need this encouragement from the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and the promise that comes with his rising from the dead. And this is what we are told. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of them who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. Those who have fallen asleep are those who have died. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call, of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, and this is what I want us to pay attention, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Which words? It is the words that those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ, who at the time of his return, as was promised, as we returned to the book of Acts, at his return, he will also bring us back to life. He can only do that if he himself is alive. Otherwise, if he's not alive, all these things that the Apostle Paul is saying to the Thessalonians have no basis. I want to believe the Thessalonians, if Jesus Christ had not risen, they should have been asking, so how will he bring us back to life when he himself is still dead? But we see that actually he is alive, and even the angels themselves attested to it, and they attested to it by way of encouraging the Apostles and the believers who were there when Jesus Christ was being taken up to heaven. In verse 9 to verse 11, we see this. We are told after he said this, that is in Acts chapter 1, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. This could signify hopeless, but no, hope was brought back to them. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And this is what they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. If at all the Disciples at this point of time were discouraged, were downcasted with the fact that he has been taken away from them. And how do we go about the business of gospel enterprise? They found solace. They found encouragement. They found comfort in the fact that the same way we have seen him go is the same way we will see him come. But we will not just be spectators in the terraces watching him come, we will be participators with him 
in his kingdom. The same kingdom he spoke about after he rose from the dead. The same kingdom he spoke about before he had died. We are going to be active participators in that kingdom and we will participate in that kingdom not with mystical bodies. We will participate in that kingdom with physical bodies because when he raises us to life, he will raise us together with our own bodies. And so we will continue to be flesh and spirit but of course with glorified bodies. This is our hope. If there is anything that should keep us going as believers, it is the very fact that one day the same Jesus Christ whom the disciples saw go up, even if we are not there, we are only relying on the information given, passed on to us through them. But his second coming to raise us from the dead, we will be participators in witnessing his coming. And obviously, this second coming is going to put to an end to all kinds of suffering that we are being subjected to because of our fall into sin. And so whatever it is that we might be going through in terms of suffering, the challenges that we're experiencing, the barriers that we're experiencing with the gospel enterprise, the sicknesses, job-related matters, marital-related matters, with the second coming of this resurrected Savior, they will all be put to an end. That is our hope. And I want you, believers, to find encouragement from this. But it is also the hope of those that have not believed in him. They are still being troubled with the fact that they are sinners. Your hope is that this Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that if you believe in him as the Apostle Paul urges the Romans in, in chapter 10 of Romans and verse 9, that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's your only hope of salvation. That's your only hope of seeing this resurrected Savior us descend from the heavens when the right time comes. Of course, the Bible tells us that every eye is going to see him, meaning even those that have not believed in him are going to see him. But the thing is that only those that have put their faith in him, only those that believe in him, are going to see him with excitement. The Apostle Paul writes to Timoth and tells him that he is looking forward to his reward and that it is not only him looking forward to his coming, but all those that believe in him are looking forward to his coming. Whereas those that have not believed in him, they are actually reluctant that he should come. They are actually trying to pacify this thought with, with, with self-encouragement that perhaps he will not come, that perhaps he doesn't exist. They are wishing him away. But it can only be a wish that he will not come. He definitely will come. And thank God, you will see him come. But it will be a terrifying sight for you to see him come and bring his judgment. 
and condemn you for the fact that you did not believe that he rose from the dead. This is what Jesus Christ commanded his disciples to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. And this is your time, those of you who have not believed in him, to look up to this resurrected Savior, to believe in him, and also for you to find encouragement from him. Like I said at the beginning, that Luke makes a big deal of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And indeed, it is a big deal. We ought also to make a big deal out of it. As believers, to go and proclaim this message, as Jesus Christ says to them, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. We will be witnesses to the fact that he rose from the dead. We must make a big deal out of this fact that he rose from the dead. Those that have not believed in him must make a big deal out of it if at all you are to be saved. Believe it for your own salvation. Believe it for your own sanctification and encouragement. Believe it for your ministry in the gospel enterprise. Jesus is risen. Amen.